0: Welcome to KidTech, the podcast that goes behind the scenes with the influencers, makers, creators, and indeed regulators of the kids' digital media sector. Uh, my name's Dylan Collins. I'm the CEO of Super Awesome. I'm your host. Today, I am joined by Elizabeth Denham, the UK's Information Commissioner. Welcome, Commissioner.
1: Oh, thank you. Delighted to be here.
0: So first of all, um, for our audience, Commissioner, um, you are obviously um, the UK's Information Commissioner in the Information Commissioner's Office. I wonder, could you explain um, to everybody, what does the UK Information Commissioner's Office or the ICO, what does that do exactly?
1: The Information Commissioner's Office and, and myself as Information Commissioner are responsible for regulating um, data privacy and data protection. Cool in the UK. So we are responsible for overseeing the data protection practices of companies, of charities, of government agencies, and um, the UK's Information Commissioner's Office has been around since 1984. So we have many years of increasingly complex legislation, and especially with internet technologies we have, um, we have a lot of work on our plate.
0: Uh, you certainly do. And I, I, I think we could probably jump off into a lot of different directions um, just given how prevalent those issues are today. And um, we're going to talk mostly about the age appropriate design code um, today, which, which you and your office are architects of. But just before we get into that, um, I mean, just thinking about kids' digital privacy specifically, I mean, you know, we were talking before we started recording about how it's becoming much more of a mainstream concern and issue. And, you know, you are now responsible for rolling out, you know, one of the most forward-thinking pieces of legislation here. Um, How does it feel to be really sort of in the spotlight for, for, for pushing children's digital rights forward. I mean, that's, that's gotta feel pretty good, I would have thought.
1: It feels very good and it just, it feels like the right thing to do, Dylan, because I think a generation from now, we will all be astonished that there was ever a time when there wasn't regulation to protect kids online. And it'll be as, as, as normal as putting on a seatbelt. So I think you may say that we're at the bleeding edge of thinking about these kind of design issues, but I think it is going to be a regular part of our lives and and protecting kids online will be expected.
0: And do do you feel that, um, and I I do want to get into the specifics of of the code shortly, but you know, in terms of today, 2020, um, do you feel that the the big technology companies the major technology platforms are materially thinking differently about kids versus let's say 5 years ago
1: absolutely and i think one of the drivers there is that children's privacy is the issue that people ask about the most that's the issue that they
2: mm.
1: are that parents and teachers and policymakers are talking about it certainly is what technology companies are talking about. And I was I was extremely um, happy to hear on my recent trip to Silicon Valley in February, I I met with the big tech companies, and all of them are thinking about children's privacy. And it seems the one thing that everybody agrees, and that is the tech companies, and that is the policymakers. And it is the regulators that children's privacy needs to be taken care of and mm. that kids are not like adults online. Mm. And we need to create a space online that kids can learn and play and experience. We're not trying to keep them off the internet. We're trying to keep them on a children's appropriate internet.
0: Mm. And do you feel they understand it? I mean, in, a, in an infrastructure sense, I mean, you know, the, the, I think both you and I agree on, on this perspective that, you know, the internet was fundamentally never designed for children. And, you know, when you look at, at the percentage of internet users that are under the age of 16 today, it's getting higher and higher and higher. D- do you think those tech companies really grasp sort of the magnitude of, of the change that they are going to have to lean into over the coming, coming years and decades?
1: I think some do. And I think particularly companies that are already targeting children that offer games and, and platforms, I think they do understand that the design of their services for children needs to change and needs to take account of the ages and provide age appropriate design. Now, do Are we dragging tech companies and and others kicking and screaming into this space? Um, Perhaps a couple of years ago, but now, uh, as I say, when I was in Silicon Valley, I was really impressed that some of the big companies, their designers and engineers were talking to our regulatory designers and engineers and and really trying to get get a view on this. What's what's ambitious, I suppose, and what's new in this space is the 15 standards in the code go to the very design of the services. So it's not about age gating, who gets on sites. Mm
2: -hmm. It's
1: about designing the Internet and Internet services for children. And that is the that's what's new in the approach.
0: And so let, let's talk about the code. So the age-appropriate um, design code, um, it goes into effect on the 2nd of September, that's correct?
1: That's correct.
0: So can you describe, um, I suppose, the code at a high level, first of all? And again, sort of just mindful that our listeners are quite international. Um, and, and then let's dive into some of the details.
1: Um, at a high level, what the code does, it, ...requires companies and organizations that are providing, uh, that are likely to be accessed by children... ...a requirement to build privacy by design into their services. So that's things like um, a default setting to privacy or uh, profiles that are closed rather than open. Location data turned off rather than turned on Um, that the companies take account of the best interest of the child which is which is a un standard that's part of our code that's the first of the 15 standards so we think about what kids the content that's delivered to kids is based on profiling and we require profiling to be defaulted to off unless the company can can prove can account for the profiling to be in the best interests of the child so really what it is is designing features into the services that protect kids and don't default to the openness that we're used to on the internet
0: and would you say this reflects a fundamental shift in children's digital privacy laws internationally from you know the the paradigm of self-identified children's content to essentially what what you know is a much more practical viewpoint which is that kids are going to try and access almost all services today is that is that a fair sort of paraphrasing
1: I think that's right, and the, the change really came in, in Europe in the GDPR, the, the General Data Protection Regulation, which requires organizations to take account of children and take account of the age of users. Then the UK Parliament went further and mandated my office to provide a code which contains the standards that breathe life into the provisions of the GDPR. In other words, the code actually puts into practice what's required of companies to meet the standards of the GDPR and in the UK, the UK Data Protection Act 2018. So it's rooted in, the code is rooted in existing law but our code translates it and makes it easier and more practical for companies to comply. And we're not stopping there with just writing the code. So starting on September 2nd, 2020, there is a transitional year for companies to come into compliance with our children's code. Mm. And we are spending that year providing tools and services and working with stakeholders in various sectors to assist them. And so it's not, it's not a blank slate, here's the code, go to it,
2: hmm.
1: companies. Because we do know that especially small companies will need to have support to comply. Hmm. Hmm. And it's much more than age gating, which, you know, you think about COPA for example, um, in the US, and that's, that's much more about consent, mm. and that's much more about age-gating, and we're looking at a comprehensive set of requirements to protect kids, not just whether or not they can get onto a site, but once they're on the site, that things like profiling and location tracking are turned off by default, mm. and, and I suppose that's the that's the, that's the way that we are looking at the future.
0: Right. I want to come back to age gating um, in a little bit, but in terms of who the code applies to, so obviously that will be, and, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, UK companies. Will that also be non-UK companies that operate in the UK or, or how, how far does this go? Does this have an extra territorial um, dimension to it?
1: It does. So the code is again part of the UK Data Protection Act. The code was written by the independent regulator, that's my office, but it's been laid in Parliament and it comes into effect September the 2nd. It applies to services that are provided to UK children. So there's the extraterritorial reach if a company obviously is operating in the UK they are subject to the code
2: Mm. and
1: companies that are outside of the UK if they are providing services to UK citizens and residents then they're caught Mm. by the code.
0: So I mean that's I mean essentially a huge universe of technology, digital media, digital service companies all across Europe. I mean that's you know that's that that's a pretty seismic change by the sounds of it
1: i think it's the the way of the future mm. and you know i i know internationally the european commission is looking at the code mexico is looking at our code mm. i think in the review of coppa in the u.s the ftc and others are taking note Mm-hmm. of of the code of practice the australians etc cetera, etc cetera. Mm. so i mean as it as it goes with data protection laws um once there is a i suppose a, a stronger set of standards and and rights mm. then other jurisdictions are, are going to look and say well why don't we have that and what? is this a better way to actually get to the design of services
2: mm.
1: rather than just gating people off from them
0: and what happens with uh, Brexit, or rather in a, pro- in a post-Brexit situation? Presumably the, 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 code, the code stays?
1: Yes, the code, the code is um, part of our, our UK legislative framework. So mm-hmm. the code itself isn't legislation, but it's required to be laid before Parliament. So that's, um, it has statutory effect, which means that's what's going to drive our um, oversight my office's oversight and courts and tribunals have to take account of the standards in the code.
0: Right. Um, one of the very, very interesting features um, about the code is that it fundamentally shifts the framework and the consideration much more into, into um, user experience and, and design, um, you know, beyond just, um, personal data processing. Do you feel that you know this this sort of experience design, this UX, is essentially the next frontier for regulators to consider?
1: I do, and you know we we've been talking, and policymakers have been talking, uh, technology companies as well, for a very long time on what is the right approach for the digital environment. How do you regulate a digital world? And analog laws and analog approaches don't work when you're looking at an entire ecosystem. And one of the complexities I think in regulating the digital world is that um, the data has a lot to do with the content that is delivered. So I think it's very difficult to start to grapple with the regulation of content and what's delivered for users without looking at the underpinning systems, which are driven by mostly personal data. So mm. by, by what I'm saying there is there's such a connection between the delivery of content, whether it's ads,
2: mm.
1: whether it's, it's um, nudges in a system, mm. whatever that is it's driven by the personal data that is collected by the service providers and that whole chain of actors and players in the ecosystem so i also think that the age-appropriate design code that my office has developed by the way in deep consultation with tech companies with teachers with child psychologists with academics so there was a long journey to get where we have with the code. But I do think that the discussions around online content and the regulation of online content are going to intersect a great deal with data protection law and practice. And I think the code mm-hmm. is a perfect example of that.
0: Mm. And, I mean, how much of that do you think is also um, – a challenge of um, organizational structures in a lot of technology companies. And I, and I don't exclusively mean the biggest one. So, so by that, I mean, you know, a lot of digital products and services that are being designed for general audiences, you know, often, although not always, you know, they may not have any parents on the design team. They won't have You know, people who necessarily have an appreciation of um, children's digital engagement, um, you know, who are involved in building these services. I mean, do you think down the line that we see in in some country, you know, the the requirements extending to the people involved in in building these products over time?
1: Absolutely. And I think the people that are building these products will have to have more more of an idea of what the users are feeling, and what the users want, as well as obviously children themselves, and we're talking about children for this podcast, but it could be adults in another context, but the use of um, citizen panels, um, the use of consultation and ethics boards within companies, I think that will really help. What I think is that this code is a concrete step towards protecting children online. It's also a concrete step in incentivizing companies and designers to put some effort and some sweat effort into thinking about the end user and how to be fair and equitable, and how to be ethical with their design. Because the public interest is, is met when companies are thinking not just about the bottom line, but also about how users approach their services. And, and it eventually could be a legal issue, it could be an enforcement issue when they don't, or it could certainly be a reputational issue. And as I say, a generation from now, I think we will be astonished that we didn't have some of these controls in place at the beginning of the internet. Because as you say, the internet was not designed with children in mind.
0: I often feel that um, every technology company of a certain size should have an appointed chief children's officer. Uh, Sounds like you might agree with that.
1: Oh, I, I completely agree with that. And I've been a regulator for 15 years in, in three jurisdictions, and I think this work on the Children's Code and really getting to the source of the issue, not just the symptoms of the issue, is the most important work I've ever done.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, you must have had some pushback or run into some friction from some of the bigger technology companies. And again, not because they are, to be clear, um, you know, in any way sort of anti-child, but that this does represent a major shift. You know, again, it's, it's, it's really sort of, you know, the code is marking the, the bifurcation of the internet audience in many respects.
1: It is, it's ambitious, um, it's a new approach, but we think that it is, it's pragmatic in that it's broken down into 15
2: hmm. standards
1: or control elements. It is going to be released with a lot of tools and toolkits and assistance. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: We consulted deeply in the development of the code and the first iteration of the code faced some criticism Mm -hmm. from small business and from technology companies. In other words, how do we do this? But there are very smart people working in the technology industry and there's very clever designers out there. And there's, there's much um, technologically that can be done to give assurance of the age of, of somebody online. Mm-hmm. So there's lots of things. And I think the code is the first step to incentivizing the investment into design that protects children at the same time allows them to learn and, and gain autonomy from their interaction with the internet
0: Mm. and commissioner how do you define the age of a child under the code
1: so the we use the the un um standard Mm. or the definition of a child is is under 18 Mm. um and we don't think that that conflicts with the age of consent Mm. for children in the in the gdpr so as you know Various jurisdictions could, by their own culture and by their own um, legal systems, they could choose what is the age of consent. And in the UK, that's 13. Mm. But these design considerations go to under 18s. Mm.
0: And I mean, do you think, you know, and I suppose particularly when you think or you consider... um, what might be in store for COPPA over the next couple of years, that the direction of travel for digital age of consent for a child is, is fundamentally heading, you know, towards 16 universally and and, and over time towards 18.
1: It, it could be certainly um, that we received a lot of submissions and we had many conversations about the age of 13 to be, too low Mm. when it comes to consent but I think um, as you know many European countries have um, legislated the age of consent to be 16
2: Mm. etc
1: etc. I think it's open for discussion. Mm. I I can see that as a very important discussion but, but, but then again the code identifying the age of a child as being under 18 is not a new requirement as such. Mm. It does come from the United Nations Convention on the Rights of a Child. Mm. And we obviously had to look at the UK's obligations under the UNCRC in in drafting the code.
0: Mm. Um, Age verification, a rather effective age verification, continues to be a challenge. Um, And, you know, we have seen that age gates, in, at least in their conventional form, really don't work. Um, how do you think that, that, that whole challenge of age verification evolves over the, the, the coming years?
1: I think that the market is maturing when it comes to age verification tools. To be clear, the code doesn't require hard age verification. What it does require is that companies have can assure people, can assure users that they are aware of the age of the child. And it depends on whether or not there's high-risk data processing or low-risk data processing. There's a range of different options that companies can choose to implement to comply with the code. So for example, um, the, at, the, at the far end, um, at the most open end of the spectrum, a, a child could self-declare that they are 16 or 13 or 18. And if that's low risk for a company, that's fine. But they still have to comply comprehensively with the 15 standards in the code, which are about much more than Um, assurance of age Mm -hmm. but some services likely to be asked uh, likely to be accessed by a child might be high risk and you can see in in those cases a company choosing us a a hard age verification tool and then there's Mm -hmm. there's all the gradients in between Mm
2: -hmm. so
1: we know that age verification um, solutions and services are not as far along as they might be in the next couple of years, the u k government um, has paused its work and its regulation of age verification, but we'll be following that with interest and and the development of, and the implementation of the code will follow
0: um, I notice you 've mentioned the word incentives a couple of times um, over the conversation. I mean you know when you think about incentives and I suppose disincentives in a sense too. Um, how will the code work, you know, in terms of, of encouraging and where necessary enforcing companies?
1: We, <clears throat> we are um, much more an advisor and a helper than we are an enforcer. And, and, and that may be news to, to some of your, your listeners. But 75% of our resources in the ICO tilt towards assistance, guidance, advice, Mm. voluntary audits all of those things Mm. and i think that's the mode that we are definitely going to be in during the transition period Mm. after september 2nd 2020 we are we will be there assisting organizations with with their compliance and you know when we see very intrusive very um, un- companies that are unwilling to adopt the standards and, and using invasive techniques to profile children, etc., then we will take action. Mm. But our sandbox service that we operate at the ICO will be a, a, of assistance there, where companies can beta test their products and their compliance with the code. Mm. So I think that that the incentives are there. I think the incentives for perhaps certification in the future so that, that companies can show that they're compliant with the code. I can see us moving towards certification and that would be a reputational boost Mm -hmm. for companies to say they're kid compliant.
0: Mm -hmm. Very interesting. Um, So, uh, I mean, not quite like the FTC's safe Harbor program, but certainly something being able to give some some recognized guidance,
1: absolutely. And the you know the as I said, the fifteen standards in the code, you would say that's guidance, um, but it has a statutory, a more um, formal, um, it's a more formal document than just general guidance. And and
2: right.
1: we have to enforce against the code, and the courts and tribunals have to consider it in any cases that that get there.
0: Right. Um, final question for you today, Commissioner. Um, when you I mean, you know, you are you and your office are responsible for, you know, one of the most important pieces of um, digital uh, law for children um, you know over the last 20, 30 years. When you go forward in time 10 years from now, so in 2030, what does the digital media landscape, what does the internet landscape look like for children?
1: I think that there will be strong certification systems where companies can prove that they're accountable for the use of children's data. But I also think that the regulation of the internet will not be so siloed content regulation versus um, data protection regulation versus consumer protection and competition. I think a lot of these areas, especially around the protection of of children will be a more unified process. And I I think where we're going to start with content, and privacy will be in the children's space. Mm. So I do, I do think that the driver for getting regulation right and keeping kids safe online, supporting their learning online, that will be the leading edge of collaborative, cooperative, integrated regulation for the digital ecosystem. Mm.
0: Commissioner Elizabeth Denham, thank you very much for joining us on Kid Tech today.
1: Oh, delighted. Thank you.